morning. My name is Ruth Pino. I've been a member of this church for about three and a half years, and Pastor Tink asked me to give my testimony, so that's what I'm going to do. I was in a certain faith denomination uh, from birth. I was born into this faith. My family for generations were this denomination, and uh, yet I was hopeless. I found myself in 1983 um, working as a nurse in a local hospital. I was in the IV therapy department, and uh, I, at this time, was going through a lot of um, troubles in my life. As I came out of the patient's room that day, I noticed a nurse walking up the hall, and she made eye contact with me. I did not notice this nurse previous to this. I did not know her. It turns out that she was a traveling nurse, so I wasn't familiar with her. As an IV therapist, you, you go all over the hospital, so I knew most of the nurses. Anyway, she locked eyes with me, and I could tell she had something to say to me. And so I waited, and she came up, and she introduced herself. She said, I'm Ann Bunce. I told her I was Ruth, and she said, do you know Jesus? I'm like, wow, that's a weird thing to say to a stranger. And so I kind of walked away. The next day, I was on a different unit. I came out of a patient's room, and there she was again. She walked up to me, and I turned and tried to get away from her. And she said, hold up a minute. And so I did. And she said, are you born again? And I'm like, oh my gosh, she's one of these Jesus freaks, you know, one of those fanatics. I think I heard that terminology on a college campus once. Uh, well, you know what a Jesus freak is, don't you? It's anybody that loves Jesus more than you do. And that was true. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says that the preaching of the gospel is foolish to them that are perishing, but to them that are being saved, it's the power of God. It says in Hebrews 4 that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's piercing, dividing the soul from the spirit and the marrow from the joints and it's a discerner of the intents of the heart. And in that moment, I knew that what she had was different than what I didn't have. Well, I went on my way. I thought about what she said. Two days later, I meet, I see her. Now I'm really trying to hide in the laundry room or anywhere I can find. And she catches up with me and she said, do you have a Bible? And I'm like, of course I've got a Bible. And she said, bring it to work tomorrow. I'm gonna show you in your Bible that you need to be born again. And I thought my Bible doesn't say that. I know it doesn't. Cause I had the Dewey version. It does not say that in the Dewey version, but I couldn't buy my, didn't know what I did with my Bible because I was told from early on, don't read the Bible because you will misinterpret it and blaspheme God. 
So we had a family Bible, a big white Bible. It was set on the table and we walked around it like it was a holy relic, like it was the Ark of the Covenant. If you opened it, you would turn to dust. And that is the truth. We walked around, we dusted it, we took turns doing that. But I didn't know where that Bible was. By then I was had my own family. But then my two daughters had been given a Bible at school just a couple days before. I thought, well, I know it's got to be that version because of where they went to school. So I brought that version in and I paged her. I said, I'm at lunch, come to my office. She did. And she opened up to the book of John, John 3. And she said, I want you to start reading it. I meant to bring my Bible because I was going to read it to you. But I'll tell you the basic story, which I've read many times. So Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. And he came to Jesus in the night in this verse that I was reading. And he said, we know that you are a man come from God because of the signs as you do. And Jesus answered, I thought was interesting. He always answered inter interestingly. He said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And he, Nicodemus says, how can a man, I'm a grown man, go back into my mother's womb how can I be born again? And Jesus said, unless you're born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. When I read these words, they came alive, like the scriptures I told you previously, and they jumped off that page in my heart. They changed me. I began to weep in front of this stranger. I had a lot of pride, so for me to weep in front of this stranger was... It was God, it was divine. And I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that I was unholy before a holy God. Well, my shift ended at 2 a.m. I left, got in my car, I turned on the ignition and came blaring out of my radio was Q102 rock radio. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's hurting my ears. It's like, why is that hurting my ears? Now, if you listen to that, this is no condemnation on you. This is my story. And I start channel searching, looking for Christian music. Now, I didn't know if there was even such a thing. Well, I heard, on the wings of a snow white dove. I'm like, wait a minute, I know that song. Where do I know that song from? 10 years before, we had a friend, a neighbor. He was a Southern Baptist boy. And he sang ad nauseum on the wings of a snow white dove by Ferlin Husky. And my husband and I would make fun of him singing this song. Now, do you think God has a sense of humor? that that would be the song that was music to my ears. That's my testimony. Thank you.
Well, I was going to speak, but I don't know if I need to now or not. So, for the next couple of weeks, remember we're going to speak about why we do the things that we do. And last week we spoke about why do we sing. And Ruth, thank you very much for, for your boldness in sharing that. So last week we spoke about why do we sing. And, and we sing because Jesus sang. And we sing because there's an entire book of the Bible that is dedicated as a song book. That's the book of Psalms. And we sing joyfully because Jesus saved us and made us a new creation. So this week, as we have already started, we are going to discuss why do we testify? Now, if you're wondering what I mean by testify, let me give you a couple of relevant definitions. In the English language, to testify means to give evidence as a witness in a court of law or serve as evidence or proof of something's existence. I wasn't satisfied with the English, so I went to the Greek. And uh, to better understand the word testify as it was intended in Scripture, the Greek lexicon pointed me to two words that essentially have the same definition. And those two words are martyreo and martus. Now, this is a quiz. Sarah, are you paying attention? This is a quiz. Does anybody remember the five-syllable Greek word for goodness? Hit me with it. We can't hear you. Agathosune. Yep, I just wanted to challenge y'all. I, I knew you all paid attention. So the Greek word for witness or testifies martus. And the definition is to be a witness, to bear witness, to affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something or that he knows something because he was taught by divine revelation or inspiration. Another short definition is to give testimony. Another definition is to utter honorable testimony or to give a good report. So the Greek word for testify is martus. That's a little easier than agathosune, isn't it, sir? So the lexicon, the Greek lexicon said that martus and martyreo were mentioned 34 times and 79 times in Scripture. Now, why does this matter? Well, this matters because this means that there are over 100 examples of testifying or witnessing within Scripture. And I didn't dig real deep into that, but I, I, trust, I, I trust it to be true based on what I've read. There's a lot of examples of testimonies within Scripture. And today we're going to look at a few of these examples. And the first example is actually a failure to testify that was given, given to us by Peter. Peter gave us this example of how not to testify in John chapter 18, verses 25 through 27. And the word says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are one of his disciples. And let me back up. You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So Peter set a very good human example of how not to testify. You know, he was asked specifically about Jesus, and he denied him. Of course, Jesus knew this was going to happen as he warned Peter that it was going to happen, and I guess Peter didn't believe him and still denied him three times. But this is just, I wanted to give this bad example so that we are warned as we go on, go out into our jobs and our, around our families and around people we know and around people we don't know, that we should not deny Jesus. We should testify about Jesus and what He has done in our lives and what He's done in the lives of, of people that we know, people, uh, friends within the church. And of course, we don't need to share other people's stories exactly, but we need to share our stories, especially uh, when we're asked about Jesus, 
if somebody asks us about Jesus, definitely, we, we should never deny him. But in this example, Peter was asked specifically about Jesus and chose to deny him. So do not, do not be like Peter. In the next couple of verses, Jesus testifies about himself. He is the reason that we testify. He is the testimony. So remember our definition for Martus is to be a witness, to bear witness, to affirm that one has seen or heard or experienced something or that he knows because he was taught by divine revelation or inspiration. And Jesus is the divine, the divine revelation that causes us to testify. So in John chapter 18, verses 28 through 37, we see Jesus revealing the truth to Pontius Pilate, who would eventually order Jesus to be crucified. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so they would not be defiled, but could eat at Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This man, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, and he's testifying in front of him about uh, that he is the truth. He tells Pilate that he has come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And we know that this truth is that he is God in the flesh. He is the visible image of the invisible God, and he is the Savior of the world. That is the truth that Jesus was speaking to Pilate about. And in John 14, 6, Jesus testifies before his disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. Again, Jesus is testifying about himself to other people. Here he has set for us a great example of who he is. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him, just like Ruth said a moment ago. And this is a foundational statement of our faith. John 14, 6 is a, is a, is a memory verse that you should, it's an easy one, and it is, it is, it is a great testimony. I follow Jesus because he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and no one inherits the Father's house except through him. So this is why we share our faith with others, because Jesus opens our eyes to his eternal goodness, as he did with Ruth, as he did with me, as he did with Mac and Katie, who are also going to come up here and speak in a moment. But he get, he, Jesus has given us examples of testimony and scripture to follow, and he told us to testify. He said, go and make disciples. Well, step one of going and making disciples is to share your faith with somebody else and say, look, I was once lost and now I'm found. And the thing that happened in between those two things, those two points in my life was Jesus was introduced to me and entered my life. So this is good news. This is the good news. And, and this is what Jesus tells us to do. 
there are other exciting testimonies in the Bible. In Acts chapter 6, we are introduced to a man named Stephen. And I'm going to give you the abridged version of the story. The disciples chose Stephen and six others to aid in their ministry. Stephen was full of grace and power, and he did wonders and signs among the people. The Jews didn't like what Stephen was doing, and they seized him and took him before the high priest. Stephen gave them a history lesson from the Old Testament, and then he said this, You stiff-necked people. Let's probably not go around calling people stiff-necked people. But he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers persecute? Not persecute. And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Pay attention to these next couple verses as Stephen's testimony is linked. Stephen's not really sharing his testimony in this example. He's lit, his testimony is unfolding as, as he's going on. But his story is linked with another important person, so pay attention here. Now, when they heard these things, they were, in, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Saul here in this story is the Apostle Paul. He has not been saved. He has not met Jesus yet in this story. But Paul was once a persecutor of Christians. And Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says that Stephen's execution was approved by Paul. Later on uh, in the book of Acts, Jesus introduces himself to Saul on the road to Damascus, and the rest is history. And Paul went on to live a life of faith, and he wrote a large chunk of the New Testament. So, as I said a minute ago, technically speaking, Stephen wasn't testifying. He was testifying that I see Jesus right now. So it was a testimony in a sense, but he wasn't telling his story. He was living out his story through faithful obedience. But Paul's story is heavily linked with Stephen in that Paul ordered the death of Stephen or he approved the death of Stephen. And one thing I want to highlight about that, the faithfulness of, of the Lord and not condemning Paul for the killing of Stephen and Stephen's prayer for forgiveness. Stephen, as he was being stoned, he said, Lord, please do not condemn them for this. And the Lord answered that prayer because he allowed Paul to go on and live such a worthwhile life of faith. So in a way, I wanted to share this, this bit of a connection, and I hope it made a little bit of sense. But in a way, everyone who believes, everyone who believes in Jesus and who is saved, our stories are linked together because of Jesus. So if we believe, we are linked together. But there's, there's some people in our lives that our, our stories are physically linked together because we've, we've crossed each other's paths. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15, Paul who we spoke about just a moment ago, has, has met Jesus at this point on the road to Damascus. And Paul writes to the Romans, he says, How then will they call, let me start over, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, I don't often say this. I don't often say that men have beautiful feet, but my good friend Mac Marie over here has some of the most beautiful feet that I've ever seen. And I'm not sure that I've ever actually laid my eyes on them. I just wanted to make you all laugh. That's part of my problem. But the passage says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And Mac is the one that brought the good news to me. So many years ago, not that many, but six or seven or eight years ago, I was going through a time in my life where things were going really good for me. I had a good job. I had a, I've shared this, I've shared this story a handful of times already, but I had, I had a good job. I had everything that a, that a human in the United States would desire within reason. And I just felt empty inside. And I just got to a point where that emptiness felt uh, more confusing than it had in the past. I wasn't able to just like trudge through it and carry forward. And all while that was happening, uh, Mac became present in my life. And um, before I go any further, these, t these testimonies, Ruth's testimony and my testimony and Mac's testimony and Katie's testimony are not meant to, to lift ourselves up. We are sharing these stories to lift up Jesus, not to, not, to, not to bolster our own egos, but to lift up Jesus. So that's why we're, we, we share those stories for that reason. But I came to this point where I just, I was lost and I realized it for the first time, like, oh my gosh, I, something, there's a huge part of my life that's not operating properly. And, and come to find out it was my lack of uh, relationship with Jesus was the answer to that empty hole. But up until this point, I didn't have anybody that made any sense of that to me. And Matt came along and, and at the perfect time in my life. And uh, I was like Ruth said about the lady that she encountered at the hospital, there was a lot of hiding involved and she didn't really want to be around that lady. Well, I didn't want to be around that guy. I would run past his house. We live really close to, well, we don't anymore. Y'all know where I live now. We used to live really close together and I would run, uh, I would be running for exercise, which I don't do much of that anymore either, but I was running by his house and he'd be like, Hey Tink, would you like to talk for a minute? I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, keep my heart rate up. And so I just jet on by, but eventually I got desperate enough that, uh, I could tell that something was going on with him that, uh, I was interested in and he might have a different, uh, vantage point or perspective of the story, but he just persisted. You know how I talk about one of my weaknesses is my lack of persistence to, to carry on. And I feel like I'm annoying to people sometimes. So I just eh, I'll back off. Well, he, he doesn't mind to be annoying, I don't think. <laughs> I share that lovingly, right? Yeah. So uh, he just persisted. And finally, what he, was, what he was telling me made sense. And this wasn't, this was just through conversation, standing in the yard, or eventually I would go into his office at the church and sob like a baby like Ruth did. And I was the same way, like, why am I crying? This makes no sense. I don't cry about stuff. You know, why am I crying now? But... So through his faithful obedience, he led me to Christ. And without that, without his understanding of Scripture and what Jesus calls us to do, I wouldn't be standing here right now. And I'm not saying that to lift him up. I'm saying that to lift up the faithfulness of the Lord in giving us the word and that some humans actually do follow it and, and carry through and 
that's why I'm standing here right now, because of the Lord's faithfulness to us and His faithfulness in His love for the Lord to do what the Lord said. And if you all would come up, we can, we can keep this storytelling going. And the reason these two are here is because all of our stories are linked together. You've heard how me and Mac are linked together. Katie and I are linked together because of Mac. And grab those mics right there, if they're still sitting over there. Y'all just, just pick one. You gotta have the blue. <laughs> yeah, go over there, Katie. So, my story is linked to Mac and Katie. Uh, I'm linked to Katie because of Mac. And Mac, if you would like to tell your story, and Katie can follow you. And I hope it's, uh, I hope it's, I hope it revives our spirits. Okay, I'll stop talking. Yeah. You're going to stay up here with us? Is this on? Is this on? It'll be on in a minute. There you go. Do you want this area? Uh, Well, I am a preacher. I will take this. That's all right. (laughs) Uh, It's great to be here. Uh, I was saved in a church very much like this one. And uh, it's uh, been very peaceful being uh, with you all and being here. So this is nice. Um, glad you all uh, trusted the Lord and brought Tink here. Uh, he's an incredible man of God and been very proud of the growth that has taken place in his life. So I'm also not going to cry. Please don't. Okay. I'm going to try not to. At okay. least. All right. So uh, my story, uh, TJ, where's TJ? Is he in here still? He's in the back. All right, TJ, man, you talked about the sovereignty of God and and, uh, without the sovereignty of God, uh, most of us, all of us would not be here, especially Tink. Uh, When I was seven years old, uh, well, because I wouldn't have met you and then you wouldn't have had this conversation. Northern Kentucky University brought us together. Yep. Yep. One of those times I was running by his house, I had an NKU shirt on. No, no, no. Don't. You're telling the story wrong. Oh, sorry. You and Heather were walking on Grundy Avenue, and Jenny and I were walking, and I was like, I need to start writing. You an NKU alum? And you were like, Yeah, what's it to you? And (laughs) I was like, We're together, man. He's like, We're not together, and kept walking. Uh, But anyway, uh, when I was a young child, uh, I had uh, a couple of traumatic things happen to me in in one year's time. Saw things I shouldn't see. I was abused and my parents divorced. And about two years later, uh, my mom remarried a guy that moved us out to Phoenix, Arizona. So I was born in Louisville, love Louisville, still claim Louisville as my, um, my, my place. Uh, but I spent most of my childhood in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, my stepdad was an ex-Presbyterian minister and missionary. And by the time he became my stepdad, Jesus was a cuss word in our home. My mom was into new age spirituality, so she'd put rocks and gems and stuff like that under my pillow at night when I had a headache. And and uh, all all up until her death two years ago, she trusted in uh, energy lines and and those types of things. And so uh, that's what I was raised in. And and, uh, John Eldridge says that the devil wants to plant lies into our heart as young as he can, uh, he calls them arrows, and these arrows penetrate our heart, and then they twist how we view life. And so those three traumatic things that happened to me about seven years old, started, it started to twist my view on life, and then having a stepdad and a, and a mom who were like, no, Jesus, um, 
those things also impacted that. So when I was a sophomore in, in high school, I got kicked out of school and didn't know what I was going to do. My stepdad was teaching uh, English in Japan. My brother was playing football in Iowa and it's just me and my mom. And she said, you got to move back to Kentucky with your dad. And so I did never saw any of my friends again. Um, and it was at spring break. Never saw any of my friends again and came to Kentucky and uh, the Mr. Bowling stepped up to me in the hallway and he said, you don't get three strikes here. You're out if you mess up. And I was like, whatever, Dean. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that's that, when I started is, going to church. Is that when you were still in the hood ornaments? Uh, that was in Arizona. Okay. That's not part of the testimony. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was a punk kid and my uh, dad and stepmom took me in. And, and for my dad and stepmom, church mattered. Uh, mostly the way that you looked mattered more than where your heart was at. But uh, being raised not in church, I loved going to a church very similar to this. And uh, they thankfully, they brought in a youth pastor named Jamie Ward. Uh, he's at a, at a large church in Bowling Green now. Um, Jamie came along and, and uh, showed me something different about Jesus. And so when I was 18, I was like, all right, Jesus, if you're real, prove it. And I started trusting him with stuff. I, the first thing I said was, all right, uh, take my language away from me. Took my language, my bad language away from me. And he just slowly took things away over a two year span of time. And uh, Jamie became the most important person in my life to me at that time, because everything Jamie said to me pointed me to Jesus. He just kept pointing me to Jesus, kept pointing me to Jesus. And so. Uh, I end up going to Northern Kentucky University and getting involved in the Baptist campus ministry there. And they used to do summer missions and they would give you like three options, put them in your order and then we'd go interview. And so I th that year it was like Australia, Ghana and one other place. And I was like, I'm going to Australia. I'd been to Russia, uh, transformed my life. And so uh, I went in for the interview and they said, now you're supposed to pick three. And I said, uh, God's telling me to go to Australia. So if you all don't pick me, I'm going to assume I heard him wrong. And so I was one of 10 people in Kentucky picked to go to Australia. One in 10 people picked to go to Australia. Uh, TJ, we're still on this sovereignty kick. OK, <laughs> so. Uh, um, so we go to we go to Dallas and then I'm put over a team of people and then we go to Australia. And it just so happens that uh, my team was spread out all over the state of Queensland, uh, if you've heard of Brisbane. And then me and another guy were the farthest into the outback than the rest of my team. We were 14 hours in in a little town called Longreach, where a 12 year old Katie, 12, right? A 12 year old Katie was the oldest child of three in that home. And, and uh, Chuck and I stayed in their home for 10 weeks that summer and ministered to them and ministered in the community and uh, had a blast. Uh, it was a, it was an incredible 10 weeks. And so um, I come back. I have failures in life and in my own heart and, and all kinds of stuff. And uh, I end up in Japan for three months and I say, all right, Lord, if you're if you still got something for me, I'm ready to go. I'll drop whatever I'm doing whenever you call me into ministry. I just kept running from ministry. I didn't want to be in ministry. Um, people can hurt you, you know. And so uh, I end up going to a church in Frankfurt 
as a youth pastor uh, because Jamie was there and he's like, we're going to hire you and Chuck to be our youth pastors. And I said, okay, let's do it. And then a pastor came and his words to me were, if I had a magic wand, you wouldn't be here. And I thought, all right, this is, this is how this is going to be. I tried to get out of the job. I couldn't get out of the job. I couldn't find a job anywhere. And uh, I ended up staying there for uh, over a year. I met the love of my life, um, Jenny. I tell people that in a terrible storm, there was one ray of light that Jesus used to keep uh, hope alive in me in ministry, and it was that woman right there. Uh, we uh, dated and were married in five months, and we just celebrated 19 years and four kids and two grandkids. and. Um, it's been an incredible blessing from that one year in ministry, along with all the other blessings that God taught me through that pastor that was so hard on me. I love that man. So thankful that God kept me there. Uh, I ended up going to Danville and had uh, an incredible ministry in Danville. And then uh, I burned out and uh, felt like I was on my way out of ministry again. And Jamie calls and says, hey, there's a church in Springfield that needs a youth pastor. And I was like, I'm done with youth ministry. It's too hard. I'm, uh, this is too much for me. And he's like, ah, you're going to listen to Troy and, and see what he says. And I was like, all right. So I go and, and I've always believed that God, God wants you in a job or he doesn't. So I've never been stressed in an interview. If I don't get a job, it's because God didn't want me to get that job. If I get the job, it's because he wanted me to get the job, even if I didn't want the job. But I went anyway. And so Troy says, we're going to hire you. And I said, I think you're making a mistake, man. I think I'm on my way out of ministry. And he said, no, you're going to come here and get healed and God will tell you what you're supposed to do. And I said, I'm glad one of us believes that because I don't think I believe that anymore. And uh, I've been there now for 14 years. Uh, said to Jenny a year ago, let's buy some cemetery plots. Uh, I'm never leaving this town. She didn't want to buy a house when we moved there. She says, you're going to crack in that small town, Mac. Let's not buy a house. And I said, at this point, we'll go wherever God sends us. And the rivers, uh, you know, got a bunch of messed up people. And every church has a bunch of messed up people. Some churches try to look like they don't, but the river doesn't really do a good job of trying to cover up uh, uh, their blemishes. We're just a, a great group of people. And so Tink and I meet and uh, NKU alum, and he's like, yeah, yeah, let's keep walking. And as you said, as he said earlier, he ran by the house and he'd like, oh yeah, I can't stop. I gotta keep my heart rate up. And I was like, You'll come around. You'll be back. God's working on you. I tried to talk to him about Jesus, and he was like, nah, I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that. But we just became friends. And, uh, you know, when God puts a light bulb over somebody, you better chase it because not everybody seems to get that light bulb, but Tink had it. And um, you came to a Bible. You called me one time and said, you got any Bible studies up there at that church? And you came on a Wednesday night. Is that night? how I said it? Probably. And you came into my office and you were, uh, you know, I, what did you say? Crying or weeping or something? Boo-hooing. You Both. were boo-hooing. But you were, uh, it was more than a boo-hoo. It was, it was big tears. And uh, he said, yeah, my counselor said I'm going through a spiritual journey. And I had to Google what a spiritual journey was. I forgot that part of the story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I thought, wow, what a statement to make. He didn't even know what a spiritual journey was. But that's just where you were at. And uh, over five, six, seven, eight years, uh, we've developed quite a relationship. And here you are today. And Katie uh, was uh, in America. You gonna tell from that point? Yeah, I can share. Okay. Well. 
about you, Zach? Yeah, well, my name is Katie. Um, thank you also for having me here to speak. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, so from Mac came when I was 12, but if I just give you a little bit of context. So yeah, I grew up in like a tiny, tiny uh, town in the outback. When I say tiny, I usually give people the context of like no traffic lights. The nearest McDonald's is four hours away. Like we're, <laughs> we're it's remote. It's Bellevue. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? No, you will have way more than what we had. Um, yeah, so I grew up there. Um, my parents, I think my mom came to faith when I was really young. Um, and my, um, my, my parents were rodeo. My dad did a lot of rodeo. A lot of my early years were following my dad to the rodeo. And so my mom gave her life to the Lord and my dad hadn't. And there was this um, feeling in the home of like, my dad thought my mom had gone crazy. She wanted to go to Bible study. She wanted to do things. And he was just like, I don't understand what is happening with you. Um, and uh, the church that she was a part of, it was a small Baptist church, and they invite my dad is a plumber by trade. They invited him to, um, to come on this mission trip uh, to the Solomon Islands. And um, through that, through a group of men that he went with, they kind of talked with him and shared with him and um, answered some of his questions about the faith. And he, a couple of years later, he gave his life to the Lord. And um, I think I was about maybe eight, um, and I remember like just the peace in our home. I don't really remember a whole lot of conversations. I just remember there was just peace in our home when my dad gave his life to the Lord. And, um, and then through that, he had a real passion for missions. And so he uh, started to, um, they linked up with an organization that went worldwide and he would give a month of his time, well, he would go for a month every year to China. And, um, he, we would never know where he was, or it was the time before all of our technology where you can FaceTime and text. And he would call from like a calling card and my mom would be like, where are you? And he was like, oh, I'm not really sure. We're kind of in the mountains, we're kind of here. And he would call maybe once or twice through that month. It was kind of those years. Anyway, um, so enter Mac and Chuck. Um, you know, my parents had this love for missions. Uh, two missionaries were coming and they offered to have them stay, so they stayed with us. And um, at that time, I um, seriously hadn't, I was 12 and I hadn't really given my life to the Lord. So while Mac and Chuck were there, I was contemplating this, why would you come all this way to our tiny town? Like you come from America, we have nothing here. I don't, I was wrestling in my mind as much as you can at 12, like why would you, why would you come here? Um, and through their uh, time with us, I ended up, they ended up walking me through giving my life to the Lord. And so um, when uh, they left, they went back. And, um, and when I was 15, my dad took me on a mission trip to China. So we went for a month and we went um, and renovated an orphanage and, um, and did, we were in sort of like a village in the mountains close to North Korea. And did a boat ride down North Korea. And uh, that trip really, when I think about it now, really changed the whole course of my life. It really ignited in my heart a, a love for missions. And I remember just seeing that the Lord worked in, in different countries and different people. We couldn't speak the language, but we could, there was like a closeness there because the Holy Spirit was in them, the Holy Spirit was in me. So we, we loved each other, even though we couldn't <laughs> express that in the same language. Um, and uh, there were just some 
amazing things that happened on that trip that just opened my mind to who the Lord is and how big he is. And um, and I wish I could tell you that when I came back, it was just on fire and everything was perfect. Um, I came back and, you know, I was in high school and um, my uh, love for the Lord wavered over some years and I um, I didn't didn't wasn't as faithful as I could have been but I my goal was to study fashion so anyway I studied fashion design um, and I was about 20 21 and I was um, looking for something different and I had um, visited I during this time I'd actually come to the US um, for, for some fashion things and I had reconnected with Mac and met Jenny and met the kids and um, met everyone had gone to the to the river for a Sunday and come back and um, and yeah I just got to a point where I was in Australia I had a, a fashion label I had everything that I wanted to do I was doing everything that I that I wanted and just felt like there was something missing there had to be something more I and I wasn't really sure what to do at that point. I had done everything that I kind of had my goals set to do. And I can only tell you it was the Holy Spirit, but something told me to, hey, Max, a youth minister, why don't you message him and see if you can do some ministry in the U.S.? So I emailed Mac and I was like, hey, it'd been about two years since I had connected with them. It's like, hey, can I can I come? And I'm a bit at a bit of a crossroads. Can I come and just shadow you for you know, uh, a month or so in summer in the summer missions and just see what youth ministry is like. So um, he said, well, well, I'll pray with our leadership and we'll let you know in about a week. Well, they let me know and I was terrified. <laughs> I was like, what have I done? Um, anyway, ended up, because it, it was so long, I had to quit my job and kind of pack up my life a little bit. Um, the visa company gave me a year visa. I was like, I don't really need that. And they were like, well, we're giving you a year. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, came to the river and did a um, did three months uh, missions interning um, in the youth ministry and just trying out all different ministries and just loved it. Um, got to Mac, one of his requirements as an <laughs> intern was to read a lot of books and theology. Um, I was in a, a lot of conversations, you know, you're in, a, in the um, church day in and day out, you hear a lot of theology conversations. I wrestled with a lot of things that I hadn't thought about before. Um, I was living in Mac and Jenny's home. I'm still living in Mac and Jenny's <laughs> home. Um, but they do ministry as life. Like their door is open. There was a lot of conversations around their dinner table with different people um, that I got to listen to and think through and watch how they discipled people just as a natural way of life. Um, and uh, at the end of the three months, um, they were like, you know what, why don't you just stay for the year? And I was like, you know what? Yeah, okay, I'll stay for the year. So I ended up staying a year and um, and really that changed everything for me. Um, if I kind of fast forward over the next six years, I ended up, uh, the Lord gave me a job in, in fashion at, in long, in Brisbane, where we, um, where we now live. And I ended up, they ended up saying, I, I would do six months of the job and then I would go and do six months of missions. And I did that for about six years. And for, for some miraculous reason, God's sovereignty, they would say, you know what, whenever you come back, just let us know and we'll give you a job back. So <laughs> I did that. And, um, and then about five years ago, um, took the position of missions instructor at the, at the river. And so 
Tink was part of those conversations around the table when I uh, entered back in, you know, watching uh, Mac and Jenny do discipleship, hearing that Tink's journey was in that. And, um, and we got to go on a mission trip together to Jacksonville, North Carolina and wrestle through missions and life and, and what, um, what the faith requires of us and, um, and what that looks like as a lifestyle and what do we do with missions, not just on mission, but at home and um, yeah. And now we're all going to long reach together. And now, yes, we get to go um, back and do missions with that small Baptist church in the middle of the outback yeah when i left australia i thought okay if i ever get married and have a daughter i'm gonna name her sydney and so our first uh child by normal birth was a girl and we named her sydney and sydney will also be going back to australia with us uh, with paula uh, and tink and everybody so it's 23 years later you know, a dream of maybe if I have a daughter, I'll name her Sydney. And now Sydney gets to go back to Australia and see some of the things that had such an impact on me. And uh, Katie's like a big sister to Sydney to be able to see where Katie came from. It's going to be cool to see Sydney go through that. And Sydney and Tink have quite a relationship. Uh, both of my daughters love to squeeze Tink's love handles. Um, and they they're like great. There was, white a, there was a time where I didn't have this. <laughs> right. Uh, well, you do now. Yeah. And so uh, they'll they'll come from nowhere, from out of nowhere and, and pinch his love handles. And so um, they've developed quite a relationship through. They've got strong that. fingers. Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. So. So we're excited to go together. And uh, I just wanted to bring. Are, are you all good? Yes. All right. Good. Uh, sure. Thank you all for sharing. So I just wanted you all, I talk, I'm going to talk about, I've already spoken about Mac a whole lot, and I know, I'm sure because of this Australia trip, I've been speaking about Katie, and, and uh, I just wanted you all to be able to put a face to the trip and why we're going and how much there is, how much depth there is to the story and the reason we're going, because though probably a seemingly small interaction among Mac and Katie when you were 12, had a dramatic effect on your life, right? So we don't know, Katie knows who we're gonna encounter when we get there for the most part, but we have no idea. We have no idea how much of an impact we're gonna have on the people there once we arrive. And, and it's just neat, like Paula is part of the story now, linked together, how, you know, how I was talking, some of our stories, all of our stories here at Bellevue would be linked together because we're physically together. But so we're, the, the story, our past story is linked together and moving forward, our story of faith will be linked together. And I just, I got excited thinking about all that. And I thought, well, what better reason for them to come up here and visit me than forcing them to get on stage and talk. And that's what they did. And I'm very grateful for their faithfulness in that. So how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard, and how are they to hear without someone preaching, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So we testify because of the good news of the gospel that Jesus came to earth, was crucified, died, and was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead and sent his spirit to dwell in us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful that you opened my eyes when you did and that you chose 
you, you, you chose who would share with me and when they would share with me. And I'm grateful for the timing of that. And I'm grateful. Uh, I'm grateful for Mac and Katie's faithfulness to come up here today and speak. And their story has had a dramatic impact on my life. And, and I just I'm excited about that. And that's all because of you and, and their faithfulness to you. And I just pray that as we go to Australia, that we have uh, impactful conversations with people and that uh, we build lifelong relationships with believers there and hopefully see many people come to faith in you. And I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you're here today and you have any questions about anything we've talked about or if you have any, if, if, if the Spirit's stirring in you, please come talk to me.